0: Now, here's AKA Radio Red.
1: Radio Red in the house. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us. An interesting and fun show today. I'm calling this episode, creatives who keep acting out. What can I tell you? We're going to find out in a few minutes. I'm here on Zoom. We are live. It is oh my goodness, September 21st, 2020. All I can say is I can't wait for this year to be over. Uh before I start with this, so many famous birthdays today and we have some really crazy national holidays this week, but I'm going to just tell you a little bit about my two guests cuz they look like they're very eager to introduce themselves. I'll just give you a one or two lines about each and then I'll have them introduce themselves more fully. New Yorker Joanna Bonaro, and she spells her name B-O-N-A-R-O, is an actress, a writer, a producer, a singer. She's been on TV's Law & Order SVU. Come on, what human being on the planet hasn't watched that at least a thousand times? Boardwalk Empire, very popular shows The Sopranos. She's appeared on film and off-Broadway. She has a TV pilot for a comedy called Good & Screw. We'll let her decide to tell you about that. And she created a really cool podcast called Terrace Truth Talk, and that's a mouthful, Joanna, for women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and maybe a little older, we don't know. And joining us today also is her friend, Brad Forenza. He's a writer of original films and plays. He's a performer. He's got a solo show called Squeaky. Anybody remember Squeaky from, Lynette Squeaky from. Uh, He has performed that around the U.S. He has appeared in theater, film and TV. I said I'd only read one line, but they're too interesting for just one line. He's got an upcoming feature called A Case of Blue. And Brad has written some lovely stories. Uh, I'll let him tell you about them, but I've been perusing his short stories Reagan babies and he is a delightful writer just absolutely captivating his use of language and color in the language describing things I I melted when I read your writing Brad really really nice job so welcome to both of you I do have to have a new shout out you know to lovely lanky Laura Legs. you've all heard the show so you know everybody say hello Laura Hello. Hello, hi Laura, Laura. <laughs> Laura C. And we're trying to take up a collection to move Laura to London because it has to be lovely, lanky Laura legs. Our most loyal listener in London, but she lives in Whitestone, New York, and that's W. And somebody suggested we move her to Larchmont, but she said no. So we're going to do a crowdfunding for Laura. Joanna Bonaro, why don't you please take about two minutes introduce yourself, then Brad Ferenza, and then we'll do the famous birthday. So
2: Joanna, welcome, and tell us what you do. Um, hi. Joanna Bonaro, a native New Yorker, originally from the Bronx. Um, I am an actress, a writer of um, TV shows and poetry. And I also paint and sing. And I wrote a TV pilot called Good and Screwed, which we can talk about later, which is being executive produced by Stephen Van Zandt and Maureen Van Zandt. and I started my podcast as as a basically it birthed after my pilot because the um, TV show is for women in their forties, fifties, sixties, and that's what my podcast is for all those women who would watch the show.
1: Very very interesting. Do you consider yourself a comedian or a performer in a broad base? What's your, where's your creative DNA in terms of performing, Joanna?
2: Um. Uh, I started out really as a dramatic actress. Um, I've been getting my comedic chops the past five to seven years. Um, so I would say it's a spectrum, but mostly very um, realistic re- realistic um, shows. Yeah, that's what I would say.
1: Well, we all love reality, and that's why you're here on Read My Lips, and this is real, and we're live, and we're already having a good time. And Brad Ferenza, I'm so pleased that you accepted Joanne's invitation to join us today. So why don't you, you and I don't know each other. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit beyond what I shared in my opening. Welcome, Brad.
3: We are quickly getting to know each other, Red. And thank you for having me on. Thank you, Joanna, for making the connection. And now we're all kind of bonded for life here in the Zoom space. (laughs) Uh, you're right. My name is Brad Forenza. I'm a writer performer. I've always been both. So sometimes people say, When did you know you had the bug? And I can't really pinpoint a time when I woke up and said, I'm a writer performer. I was always someone who created shows, home movies with my family, with my friends, starting off as reenactments of popular films like The Graduate, and then moving into things that were originally scripted. I'm sure I'll talk about the years in between as the evening goes on, but at some point around hmm, five, ten years ago, I realized that maybe I could start creating those things in the real world, not just the basement. And for me as a creative producing my own work, whoever sees it or doesn't see it when I started to do that is when my life changed as a creator and I started really owning the identity a bit more. It's not an outcome. It's a journey. It's an identity. So thank you for recognizing me as such.
1: Oh, well, you are easy to recognize as such as many things. And Brad, I, I read your story, Reagan Babies by Brad Forenzi. You shared your stories with me. And you make a very interesting disclaimer in the beginning of the book that it may be understated truth. It may be overstated fiction, that it may be a, a combination of both. And I read it and I was fascinated. And and you had me wondering because of the forward. You had me wondering right away, is this really where he grew up? Are these <laughs> really his parents? Did his pa- father really do that? Is that really his grandma? Did she really have, have uh, uh, kidney stones? Uh, did he really have to do this? And and I don't want you to tell me, because I enjoyed not knowing. Okay. I enjoyed wondering was it true? Because if it was true, I could say what an interesting life you've had, sir. And if it wasn't true, I could say what a great imagination you have. Either way, so so what was it like? Just quickly, what was it like writing Reagan Babies? Uh, and and just briefly tell the audience and tell my listeners. Why did you call it Reagan Babies? That was the first story.
3: Okay, great. Well, thank you. The premise is uh, that I grew up, and this is all true, I think that my parents would corroborate (laughs) me on on this with formerly hippie parents, reformed hippie parents who got divorced when I was two. I was adopted, so they have an interesting trajectory. All of that is true in the universe, Um, but over time, you know, they lost their hippie impulses, traded their loose joints for muscle relaxants, and became different people. So my window into their hippie lifestyle was mostly populated by what their friends would tell me. Your your parents were so cool. And to me, they're parents, so I never saw them as cool. They're lovely people. But in the context of growing up, I mean, kind of oppressive. They're parents. Um So Reagan Babies is the title of the first chapter and it's a window into part of my adoption process and also a window into their changing identities as these well-intentioned people who just kind of had good intentions and still have good intentions and they're still beautiful and they're still with me and I'm grateful for that, but just grew apart and became more conservative with age, which happens, but that's the conceit of the first chapter.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. And yeah, the thank you. concept of the political climate changing people when you vote, for we're not going to get into politics here, but when you believe in certain things that are being offered to you as a community or as a country, you do change some, you give up some things and you adopt other things and you can become other Types of people. And I think that was the yeah. point we were trying to make. Yeah. So very, very well done. Joanna, since we shared a little bit of Brad's background, do you want to share anything about your growing up? Did you have a very creative family or were you exposed to theater, art, music, painting,
2: uh, any early inspirations for who you are today, what you do? My early inspirations was a friend of the family who took me when I was eight years old to my first Broadway play, which was to see Elizabeth Ashley in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Ooh. And from that moment on, I wanted to be Elizabeth Ashley. So... <laughs> um, that's where my love. That was the first playwright. Then, at eight years old, that I ever read. Even though my understanding of Tennessee Williams has evolved as I've as I've aged, and um, I didn't come from a highly creative family at all. In fact, um, being a very good A student child, I was still considered the black sheep of my family because I wanted to be an actress, there's a, there's, there was a huge um, valley between reality and, and the, the perception. So um, I didn't come from a, a, very, um, a very loving, wonderful, I adore my parents, I had a wonderful childhood, but uh, the creativity was not something that was even understood um that's that's all i can say about that
1: <laughs> isn't that interesting very interesting i'll i'll tell both of you that my mom loved to play the piano and she played from the time she was 8 or 9 or 10 years old she grew up in scranton and uh, her her father, I think, was in the restaurant business, and her mother uh, used to have her babies on the oil cloth. her gr- Grandma had about five kids, and in the early years, she had them on an oil cloth on the kitchen table above the restaurant. And apparently the grandfather, uh, my my mother's grand my mother's dad started the one of the early synagogues in his part of Scranton, and and on and on and on. But it was interesting that my mother started playing piano, and it became a lifelong thing, a talent, a and she, and you'll both get a kick out of this, Ruth passed away three years ago at the age of 100, still living on her own, refused to have an aid, didn't need anything, played the piano, entertained for the Shalom Club that day, played Bridge the day before. What can we tell you? She just decided, the flu got a hold of her and all of a sudden she was gone and it was like that, nothing. Anyway, uh, she played the piano and she could sit down. If you, uh, Brad or if you, Joanna, hummed a few bars of a Broadway tune, Ruth would fill the room with music, with full chords, full uh-huh. orchestration. And she and her friend, Arlene used to make song parodies out of Broadway shows for one of their seniors groups. And they came up with really, really clever parodies. But my point is my mother used to play the piano in the living room. We had, and I have the baby grand here. I, when I moved to Durham, I brought my mother's piano. It's a 1958 crack hour, beautiful wood. And it, it's a baby grand. And she used to play. And my mother had these beautiful petticoats in her closet. You can imagine She was born in 1917, so you can imagine the era, and I won't tell you how old I am, but Bernadette Peters and I are pretty close, Brad. We'll leave that one alone. (laughs) My sister and I used to go into my mom's closet and take some of these petticoats, which had beautiful crinolines, and they had ribbons and bows, and they were black with pink, or they were white with red, and they were gorgeous. And my mother used to play Hernando's Hideaway on the piano. In the living room, and my sister and I would dance and twirl to my mother's playing these songs. And we ended up both taking piano lessons, but nobody played like Ruth. So I had to share that with you. And I don't know if that was a creative upbringing, but it certainly was a way to introduce music to the family, right? And I... I haven't talked about that on the radio ever, but now it's time. Let's do some of those famous holidays because I want to get a reaction from both of you. So (laughs) Yesterday, I'm sure this is a, I think I read this last week, but we'll do it anyway. Yesterday was the 20th of September. It was national pepperoni pizza day, national queso day, and national wife appreciation day.
3: Were you all? Damn, I
2: missed that one.
3: (laughs) I ate pepperoni pizza and didn't even know it was a celebratory dinner.
1: Well, I'm going to give you another chance to celebrate because today, September 21st, is National Batman Day. Ooh. <laughs> Dead silence. I was waiting in, for that. <laughs> thank you very much. Now, tomorrow Ow. is the fall equinox. Okay, September 22nd. It's also, no pun intended, fall prevention awareness. That's a good thing. It's That's a good one. <laughs> listen to this it's Hobbit Day, it's Elephant. <gasps> elephant appreciation day
2: my favorite
1: ice cream it gets better ice cream cone day it's singles day it's temperature control day and it's white chocolate day this is tomorrow 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 there's a lot to choose from right yeah Yeah. which are we gonna pick (laughs) i think we should do elephant appreciation day ice cream day ice
2: cream cone day
1: and white chocolate and and
2: white chocolate I'm, I'm, the, I'm a foster mom of a, of a baby elephant, elephant. That was the best Christmas present I've ever gotten in the past 10 years. Beautiful. His name is, his name is Zewa. And it's the Sheldrick uh, elephant orphanage sanctuary. And four years ago, my sister gave me, we, we said we didn't want materialistic things, yes. but she said, you know, we're Italian Joanna. I'm your twin. I have to buy you something. <laughs> so she, I open up the present and and she and she adopted a baby foster el, um, elephant for me, and I get updates every few months. Beautiful. And his name is Diwa, and is I'm very beautiful? very maternalistic and protective of him.
1: Well, tomorrow is National Elephant Appreciation Day, and never Joanna Bonero Bonero in my wildest dreams that I think I'd have a guest who had a. Uh, A foster adoption of an elephant so you were if i had
2: known i would have brought his picture but it's all the way on the other side
1: (laughs) you were meant to be on the show tonight that's all i can tell you now tomorrow uh, the uh, what's it today wednesday september 23rd is a very 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 important day it's national redhead appreciation day i kid you not it's also national dogs in politics day oh I I don't even think we even want to touch that one. But Wednesday, National Red Hat Appreciation Day. I have to tell you, it's better than having a birthday, right? If you knew what this red cost, you would know I appreciate. Yes, we'll leave that one alone. (laughs) And September 24th, interesting but not related, is National Cherries Jubilee Day as well as World Bollywood Day. How about that, Brad? Cherries Jubilee? Anybody have that? I don't know if restaurants even serve that anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, long time. September 25th, Friday, it's the German Sandwich Day, Comic Book Day, Cooking Day, Lobster Day, and Daughter's Day. So I think we could all go for lobster and a comic book. That's what I'm up for.
3: What do you think, Brad? You with me? I'm still on the white chocolate, but I can support anything. (laughs) And redheads, you are definitely closer to Bernadette than you might have thought.
1: I'm feeling very honored by that statement. The 26th is National Better Breakfast Day. Better than what or whose, I don't know. It's Johnny Appleseed Day. It's National Bunny Day, National Dumpling Day, National Family Day, National Pancake Day. And they have to spoil it by making it National Hunting and Fishing Day. I don't think that belongs in there at all. So we could have we could honor bunnies and dumplings and have pancakes and have better breakfast. What do you think, and Brad? And read, read comic books. Read comic yeah. books, yes. Uh, I no comic books was the day before you can oh, still on yeah. the day before and September 27th is National Crush Day World Tourism Day that's next Monday and Yom Kippur the Jewish high holiday so I will not be doing live radio next week I will be atoning I have to think of all the things I did bad this year and I will be atoning. So there you go. So now we have a couple of famous birthdays today and I'm going to just run through these. You can raise your hand, Brad or Joanne, if anybody you want to talk about, but Larry Hagman, everybody remember J.R. Ewing on Dallas? J.R. Ewing,
3: Mary Martin's son. Born in
1: 1931. He passed away 2012. Hard to believe it's been that. Remember who shot J.R.? Remember the world stopped for months Because we didn't know. Well, some people did. Also today in history, 1934, Leonard Cohen, who passed away four years ago, the wonderful Canadian singer-songwriter. He was born today. Happy in absentia to both of you. Henry Gibson. Remember him on Laughin' in 1968? Wasn't he the guy who wore the yellow raincoat on the trike and he used to fall over? I think that was Henry Gibson, I'm pretty sure. Very, very cute. He worked with Ruth Buzzy on the show. Stephen King, Alive and Well, 1947, author and screenwriter, scary My sex.
2: husband's favorite writer. Do you know how many Stephen King books I have in my house? How I have many? No idea. Okay. I, I would say all of them.
3: <laughs> appropriate for quarantine <laughs> oh! as well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely true. Um, also today is Bill Murray's birthday. Actor oh, and comedian Bill Murray. Dave Coulier. Does anybody remember Dave Coulier?
3: Full House. That's right. And you ought to know by Alanis Morse. uh, I, I think it's publicly known. It's about him.
1: Okay. All right. Well, they do. People know it now. And he was Joey Gladstone on Full House. That's right. Uh, Anybody remember JAG on TV, the famous lead actor on JAG, David James Elliott, Canadian-American actor and director? He was born today. Rob Morrow, one of my favorite actors, because he was not only on Northern Exposure, he played FBI agent Don Epps in Numbers, and the E was in Backwards 3, remember? Yes. Very quirky FBI show. Very interesting. Cheryl Hines, who played Larry David's wife, Cheryl, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Happy birthday, Cheryl Hines. Quite the comedian. Faith Hill, singer-songwriter today. Ricky Lake, also born today. Love Al- Faith, Faith Hill. Yeah. Uh, Alfonso Riviero, born today. Uh, he w- he's now hosting America's Funniest Home Videos. He was Alfonso Spears on Silver Spoons. And he was on mm-hmm. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Luke Wilson, born today. One of the Wilson brothers, Nicole Ritchie. Interesting lady uh, started on the simple life with Paris Hilton years ago and singer songwriter, Jason Derulo, young man born in 89. I don't talk to anybody that young anyway. So let's all say happy birthday to all the people who are happy celebrating birthday. their birthday. Okay. Now we want to talk a little bit more about what you're all doing. We have plenty of time. So Joanna, I want to talk about your brain beauty productions company. When did you start it? Why? I know you want to have more content for women. Uh, is that the main focus? Did you wake up one day and say, I think I'll start my own production company? How did that happen? Tell us a little bit. Well,
2: how it happened was I thought one day um, that I should write another TV pilot um, for the demographic that I thought was being shortchanged, which was women really from the ages of 45 to 65. You know, like after Sex in the City, there was a vast desert, and then we have... Grace and Frank, I never say it correctly, even though it's a, I love the show, Frankie and Grace. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's for you, the 70s, but there's like the Sahara Desert in between as far as main characters and what their lives are like. So I decided to write Good and Screwed and um, wanted complete creative control. And so as a result of that, I decided that I needed to open up my own production company. And um, and so that's what I did because I was going to be the CEO and I was going to be in charge of everything. And, uh, and since then, um, you know, there are some projects I can't talk about now, but you know, women come up to me and I read scripts and, and we look and see if, if something's viable. Um, but that's basically the, the main reason why I, I created it. Joanna, important question. I started a production
1: company. How do you do that? Do you incorporate it? Do you get some legal paperwork? Do you announce to the world through the trade press in, in New York or LA or everywhere? Do you say, I am now starting my own production company. I offer these services or I am accepting scripts for XYZ genre of films of TV.
2: What Can you just take well, a at little that, bit of that At that point, I was only interested in my own project. Okay. Um, so um, you have to create an LLC- And then you have to find out if the um, name that you're using um, uh, is being used by anyone else. Um, You do need to hire a lawyer because there's a lot of legal things that I wouldn't even know about or be able to really comprehensively talk about just to ensure that um, you're doing everything legally correct. And, um, I'm married to a lawyer, so that was helpful, but he's not an IP lawyer or anything. Um, he's not an entertainment industry lawyer, so, um, he could help, he could help out, but it's not like, you know, I got free legal advice. So we, um, I, I got an entertainment lawyer to help me with my production company. And then you have to put through papers and, um, there's some money involved in investment. And then I created the website and, um, and then did my first my did did the first production, which which was good and screwed, which which um was under SAG um edicts. And and also being married to a lawyer, I have to say that um I am very, very particular about um following the rules. So I wanted to make sure that every I was dotted and T was crossed, and I was going to be doing everything to the letter. Um and and I worked within within those guidelines and boundaries. I hope that answered your question. It, it did. Uh, I wanted to inspire. If
1: anybody wanted to do something like that, to let them know there there are protocols involved, there are laws involved, there's paperwork, there's money involved. But let me ask you a, a question, Joanna, and then I'll, I'll get to Brad in a second. And Brad, chime in anytime. Joanna, did you feel that going through all of these these strict Guidelines following to the letter, as you said, the letter of the law and the letter. Did it squash your interest in being a producer or did it help you?
2: Well, the thing is, um, I did have a, a wonderful uh, associate producer, someone I had met when I'd gone to RADA 10 years ago. And um, she had left the industry and has an MBA in international finance and finance. So she um, helped me. And I, I think. I think I was blessed with with the fact that I had not only I had a good friend who also was artistic but but had the business acumen and my my husband who at least has you know the legalese under his belt and I I would strongly suggest not doing it on your own if you can just because having a support system Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I say, no man, no woman is an island. It's very helpful to, to have someone that you could bounce ideas off of and talk to and questions. Um, it did not deter me. It just helped me along the way because I had a support system. I had people who I respected and who were knowledgeable and I, I knew wouldn't steer me incorrectly, would tell me the truth because I'm the type of person is. Like I, I just, just throw it at me and tell me and I'll deal with it. I don't need anything sugar coated. Um, and so she helped with a lot of sometimes the more business technical things and paperwork that maybe I didn't necessarily want to do. I was involved in every single step of the way. I, I don't, I don't just delegate. I'm always a hands-on person, but that's what helped me through the process. So that helped not deter me to do everything because I found Good. the support system that I needed Good. or the, or, or the people to work with me.
1: Good. I was, I was thinking some creative people say, ah, I don't want to do all that. I don't want to bother with contracts or law. I just Yeah. A lot of people
2: a, do, but it's to their point. demise.
1: Yeah, you, I think yeah. Go ahead. You got to do it. You got to do it. And can you tell And Brad, have you any experience with production teams in, in terms of setting anything up? And we're going to talk about your playwriting next, Brad. So talk to me.
3: I fully agree with Joanna. I avoided creating my own LLC for a long time, but then came to the realization that if I want to be taken seriously, if I want to attract named talent to appear in an independent project, that's a necessary means to an end. And I'm grateful for having done it because what I didn't know is that at the back end, I have a different perspective of everything. I have a different perspective of how the work gets done, how talent gets attracted to it, uh, what the capacity of a project could potentially be. If not for professionalizing myself through a small LLC, I would probably still be doing shows in the basement, which is wonderful at face value, but um, I'm grateful that I forced myself, my support team forced me to do that as a means to an end.
1: Very, very. Can I just
2: say something in addition to, um, just to my fellow creatives out there as an actress, um, it's very empowering to create your own production company and your own LLC, along with you gain a lot of knowledge, which I had had because I had been a pretty high up in the cosmetic industry before I returned to acting. But, um, I find that if you pay attention and create your LLC and your production company, as Brad had said, so I wanted to echo that um, and highlight it, is that people will take you more seriously. People will see that you are also a business person. You have business acumen. You have foresight. You're willing to do the work. And so that when you present your creative baby to them, mm-hmm. there's more gravitas or substance to it. So I highly recommend that someone do that. Fascinating. So in a way, we're,
1: yeah, Brad, we're talking about the business of being a creative and being taken seriously. Brad, talk, what
3: do you think? Well, can I ask you a question, Brad, and you a question, Joanna? Sure. You're both producers. Do you feel like it gives you greater insights as an actress and a writer as well? Joanna, why don't you answer
1: first?
2: As far as the stories that I'm looking to tell, I guess the fact that I'm looking for strengths and vulnerabilities and telling stories about women who evolve. um, I think... The experience myself of creating the business behind the business um, just incubates and then is becomes part of part of the creative process. I can't say it's direct, but I'm quite sure that it's indirect.
1: Interest interesting question, Brad. As far as I go, I'm a an independent radio producer. And I found that in the early days when I started in radio, and I think this will resonate with both of you, when I would tell people I had my own my own radio show when I was working as a Friday night producer on WGBB, Long Island's oldest AM station, and I had a one hour show, and I, it was uh, WGBB tonight, but I called it Up Close and Personal. I called it different things. They let me in, let me do what I wanted with it, basically. And I interviewed a lot of authors, a lot of relationship authors. And I would go to a party or I'd meet people and they'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, well, I work in marketing, but I have a radio show. And they'd say, do you get paid to be on radio? And I'd say, no, it's just a passion. They say, well, you couldn't be any good. Swear. That's what people said to my face. If you don't get paid, you're a nobody. That was the thought process. That was about 20 years ago. And it may still be today. Everybody is doing podcasts, right? Right. People are doing so much stuff, I'll say pro bono. They're doing it on their own because they love it. They're trying to get started. Look at people who start. uh, Some of the the famous record producers, some of the famous recording artists these days started out marketing their own, right, on YouTube before they got a production company, before they got somebody to publish their stuff. And everything is really do-it-yourself these days in terms of getting into a very, very crowded entertainment marketplace. And so I just get such a kick. So as far as production goes, I don't have a production company. I work with Voice America Radio. But I find that for to, to be taken literally and figuratively seriously, Brad, as a creative person, I have 50 radio series I've created. I'm currently producing 13 series this year. I do a lot of radio. And I love talking to people. And I love doing it on Zoom. It's even more fun than it used to be on the phone because I can see all of you now. But I find being taken seriously, people want metrics today. They don't care if I'm paid or not. I am. But they want to know how many listeners. How many listeners to a live show? How many listens to a recorded show? How many listeners did you have? And it's all about success in terms of numbers. That's how people gauge it. But I did write three plays when I was in New York. And I had a public access TV show. I had no problem, word of mouth, getting community theater actors to come and rehearse my shows and be in my shows. And I... Created them. I wrote them. I coached them. I directed them, and I edited them into 29-minute shows so they could air in my time slot. And I didn't. I, I must. People must have trusted that I came well recommended because nobody said, "Oh, we don't know who she is. Why would we want?" They heard about the show. They said, "Well, I can give you so much time." Most of it was with a teleprompter because these people were doing a lot of community theater, where they're sometimes doing two or three plays in the same season. They didn't have time to learn my line. So I said, I'll make it easy as possible. So we had three teleprompters once for three actresses in the studio. We did it all on green screen, sitting in a TV studio in Great Neck Lake Success. And it was delightful. It was an experience because I became the writer, the casting director, the script changer, the I want you to look this way and I want you to do that way. I I did it all. I had a great crew. I was in charge of so much. And in a way, without having a production company, I I enjoyed the process from the night I sat down and started writing the plays till the day that they aired on the channel. Does that answer anything, Brad, about me? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you for the question. I appreciate it, Brad. Since I write plays and I haven't written more than the three and I loved every, every minute I look back at the scripts and I say, did I write that? That was pretty good, pretty fun. They were light romantic comedies. What do you write, Brad? What's your favorite genre for plays? I know you've written a couple. Uh, how do you get the inspiration, the muse? Does, does something hit you on the news, or you meet somebody? And say, I think I'll write a play about that. How do you? What's your process for playing Yeah,
3: I wouldn't say that I'm a topical playwright, but I would say I am motivated to write based on what's happening around me. So I've written a lot of plays in college, in community theater, etc. But I would say that the first one in my professional creative life was Breaking Points, and it was rooted in a very, very public suicide in 2010. A friend responded to me and said, well, suicide is a choice. And I was Very dumbfounded by his response to that very public tragedy. So my therapy around that this was not my loss. This was a a public figure who killed themselves, Okay. someone who became a public figure after the suicide. And my processing of this friendship that was actively unraveling because I just was not going to be swayed. Me personally was not going to be swayed that suicide could ever be a choice. He was not going to be swayed, uh, that suicide was anything but a choice. Mm. So therein is your central conflict of the play, Ah. how two people deal with grief. And in the context of that play, breaking points, um, It's two characters and their reaction to the death of their friend. That's not a carbon copy of what my experience with my friend was. And we never saw eye to eye on it. I don't know that if he's ever considered seeing that event from my -hmm. perspective. But it started off as therapeutic and very exploratory. And it became a, a conflict that laid the foundation for a friendship that grew apart and then grew back together in the context of the play. So yes, I'm motivated by stuff that happens around me. Sometimes it's as specific as that. A film that I wrote a few years back is just about just a general unease, a general anxiousness. There was no explicit central conflict other than people just wanting more and feeling a bit lost in what they perceived their purpose to be. And that was just rooted in what was happening in my small world at the time. Interesting.
1: Very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank uh, you. And thank you for for tackling a serious issue like that. It's It's something that nobody really understands
3: the strange thing in doing talkbacks, as i'm sure you have done i know joanna has done is that people come to those talkbacks with their own ideas of whether or not suicide is a choice so i want for it to like start a conversation mm-hmm. um but sometimes i i have felt come at with respect to my perspective being off or 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 challenging the other person's perspective so in a way I become a defender of both perspectives at this point
1: very interesting uh I want and thank you for that Joanna I want to talk about the plot for Good and Screwed it's a very provocative title I know we're taking a 360 at least here in terms of genre goes but provocative titles my plays had provocative titles one was Whatever Lola Okay. You know what the record <laughs> it of, Never Lola. Yeah. Mm, that was where I left the title. So, uh, Joanna, good and screwed. Uh, we do not have language on this show, but in case you wanted to, but I'm intrigued. in interesting, very provocative, edgy title. So what is it about? And is it going to happen? It, I know it was a pilot. Where is it? It's,
2: be, it's being shopped around now. I mean, it's being shopped okay. around. Um, um, they came on board, Um Stephen and Maureen came on board um, right before uh, the uh, the plague, so things kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. So we're 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 getting back in gear now. Um, So. We'll see. I mean, again, we'll see what happens. But um, Joanne, I have
1: to interrupt. How did you meet yes. Steven Van Zandt? I devoured Lilyhammer. I thought it was one of the most wonderful series, and I'm a big fan of his. How did you meet him?
2: Well, first of all, I mean, he's just one of the most wonderful. First of all, he's like a genius. Okay, yes, so yes. and you would think you'd be completely intimidated by this icon, mm-hmm. and um, he's so down to earth. I met him through his wife, Maureen, I'm part of um, her, the Renegade Theater Company, um, for f- over f- five or six years now, um, Maureen Van Zandt and Vincent Pastore. And Vinnie is the one who introduced me to Maureen. Mm-hmm. And then I became part of their, I auditioned and um, became part of their, uh, an official member of their theater company. And, you know, just by then just, being there, um, met, met Steven. And then, um, after we filmed good and screwed and Maureen has, um, and again, um, Maureen wasn't in the original, original of mm-hmm. good and screwed, but as I, as I became friendlier with Maureen and got to know her, I just thought, I just like this character just came into my head and, um, and then I incorporated her into it with Vinny, And then we, we shot more scenes and um, went to more festivals and things. And then I just, I basically approached them. And I think that's also the part of the growing experience of having your own production company mm-hmm. and, and um, being, ser- being taken seriously. And um, I said, you know, having nothing to do with our relationship at all, please take a look at this as a business person. Would you be interested? That was it. I, I asked. Wow, and and and, and they said
1: yes. <laughs> and if you had to summarize the plot of Good and Screwed, what's it about? The
2: Good and Screwed is about um is about is is the is the coming of middle age journey of a woman called Nina who was a perennial good girl, and finds herself um after uh after finding her husband, and I won't tell you what happened because it's empowering. Um, she goes on a journey to rediscover life and love again and how to become, quote, unquote, a modern woman bad in the fast <laughs> lanes of New York City. So it's centered around um, the Good and Screwed title. And Screwed I, I, I um, has a double entendre, obviously. Uh, yes. you know, uh, but, but what it really is, it, it's, it's, the, it's the opposite of being good, is that she's good her whole life. And so the script of her life all of a sudden became toppled or screwy or turned around. And she finds herself now trying to figure out life like a screw going through Mm -hmm. a piece of wood or something. And so... Um, since the, there are there's some raciness to it, obviously, I, hope so. I just thought it would be, it was a great thing. You know, you, you're good all your life and you get screwed. What are you supposed to do? And now you want to get screwed. And <laughs> there you, there, what are you there, supposed to do? <laughs> there
1: you have it. She finally came out and said it. And, and do you think this is the kind of content that you created, uh, your, your brainy productions, um, Joanna, in terms of is this the kind of content women 40, 50, 60 and above are looking for that's missing? And you mentioned Grace and Frankie or Frankie and Grace. I
2: I think there's a complete Sahara Desert for women Mm -hmm. specifically from like 47 to like 65 um, as far as main characters and what their journeys are. And and part of the um, women come up to me at festivals after we've shown it, because when you're shopping it around, you can't show it. But you can only mm-hmm. show it at festivals. Where we've won awards everywhere, you know, we've won great, great awards. Is that they will come up to me? I had a really heartfelt one. Just, just the last one we were in in Brooklyn. This woman came up to me and she said to me, "I want." She took my hand, and and I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And and she said, "I want to thank you so much for making this because I am now going through a divorce, and I completely understand what the main character." Mm-hmm. is going through. <clears throat> she said, and 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 I've never seen that before. And I was like, y- you're welcome. I hope we can do more for you. Fascinating. Thank you very much. I, I had a feeling. It's,
1: it's interesting. When I did my first, one of my first stand-up comedy gigs in New York at a little club called Break for the Border, I don't know if you were even alive. Uh, Brad might not have been Joanna. I don't think so. Um, and I debuted at Steve Rosenfeld's American Comedy Institute at, at uh, what was it? Uh the one on Fifty Fourth Street, the Big Comedy Club, uh, Carolines, and uh, I was invited to to perform. And somebody came up to me right after, and the woman said, "I really appreciate that you were saying you'd been divorced twenty one years, and you were a, a born again." I use the V word, and she said, "I really appreciate that you made me laugh because I've been divorced a long time too." And it, it, there's that that recognition. Right, Brad, you too, right? The recognition in what you write that reaches people. I'm looking for a quote, Brad, that you have on your website. Um, You said, let me see if I can find it. I'm looking for it here. Um, Yes, you said, if I understand anything from Sondheim, Sunday in the Park with George, it was that art, like academia, civics, and most things you love, is about communicating something, saying something fresh and novel in spite of risk. Talk to me about that in spite of risk, Brad. I was intrigued that that was that's one of the covers of your of your website, which is very nicely done, by the way.
3: What does it mean? Thank Brad? you very very much, and I feel compelled to also pay homage to Mr. Pastor and Ms. Van Zant, who have been very good and very supportive of my work. Very nice. um, so, with respect to just taking risk, I think for myself, so many times in life, I have not put art, generative work, something I wrote, something uh, I wanted to produce out into the real universe beyond Mm -hmm. the proverbial basement or garage, because I was judging myself. And at a certain point, I just stopped doing that. And while I'm not rolling in cash, per se, or artistic success, that's when my identity and my life and my opportunity started changing. It's cliche, but when I started taking more risks, my perception of myself and my art and what I was capable of started changing.
1: Interesting. Very, very interesting. And do you feel that it's it's your writing, your creative process, that you're putting yourself out there as the person who wrote that script, who wrote that play, who wrote that pilot or whatever it is? Or is it the the subject matter that stands on its own. In other words, if somebody read one of your plays or saw it and they didn't know you were in the audience that day, uh, would that risk be a reflection on you as a creative person or would it be on the characters? Uh, maybe I'm stretching this too far, but any thoughts on that?
3: Um, I think for me, I'll come back, I'll try to come back to the second part of your question, okay. but to the first part of your question, as a person as a performer, as a number of things, I'm waiting to take my cues from a casting director, a mm-hmm. producer, etc. a literary agent. When I started throwing caution to the wind, I just started making the work happen. Um, and if it's about the work, And nothing else, that's okay to do. It's okay to take that risk, to make things happen for myself. So um, that's what I meant by not just being afraid of risk. The second part of your question, I think I lost it at this point, but maybe it'll (laughs) resurface in my brain at some point.
1: That's fine. I was wondering if if the content becomes its own risk where somebody would see a play and they would say, oh, i got to find out who Brad Forenza is.
3: Oh, I definitely I have had the experience at both ends of people being and interestingly the same play, people being really moved and wanting to connect with me personally, as Joanna just discussed mm-hmm. by the piece, and also people not agreeing with the perspective of the piece, but it's not supposed to have a perspective. That's art. I went to the Metropolitan Museum the other day. There's a lot I didn't get and a lot I loved. Um, and that's okay. Everybody can walk away with their own interpretation. That's, that's the creative process, and that's the dialogue that I hope happens. I'd rather be solicited for the moments when people like the piece. But when they don't like the piece, I, I love constructive conversations, just not a barrage of... Uh, I hear you one-sided thinking. I I hear you,
1: I I produced one of my plays for a local, let's just say a local group two years ago and people didn't get it. They just simply didn't understand that the actors on the stage who were dancers were emoting what was happening but an actor off stage was reading what they were thinking. So it was a voiceover from off stage and it might've been too sophisticated a concept but people couldn't. And I prefaced it on stage with you're going to not see their lips move, but you're going to basically see an invisible thought bubble about what they're thinking and they're emoting to what they're thinking. But a lot of people just didn't get it. And I realized you've got to be careful with picking your audiences and your environments for stuff like that. Um, Joanna, where do you see uh, Good and Screwed going? You say it's being shopped. You want it for network TV, for cable TV, for a streaming service. Where do you see it? I see it mostly
2: for a streaming service. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think ideally, what's out there now. I mean, my favorite would be Hulu, okay, um, because it's edgy. It's a dramedy, but it's very edgy. Um, or even like a Quibi, the quick bites that um, is mm-hmm. out now, um, because uh, it 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 just the format of it is it's def it's very it's it's in real time, and so that's that's my vision. You know, um, it's, it's very real time. It's not aspirational in any way, which was also mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I wrote. I, I get tired of aspirational TV or role models. I like genuine and real. So I think those would be my two favorite. Thank uh, you.
1: I just finished you. binging, Joanne. I just finished binging Boss, The Duchess, mm-hmm. Sisters, Good news. The one that Nicole Ritchie is in that people are saying shows her to be a good one liner deliverer. She had some really, really crisp one liners and she did them really well. Very deadpan. Uh, not sure if she was self aware of, of what the character was saying, but the character said it with great confidence. So there, there were layers there. But Girl Boss was a hoot. Sisters was crazy. The Duchess, I did that in one night on the weekend because I think they're only 27 minutes long. That's another question is when you're producing for, let's just say, the current and maybe not the modern, but the current audience, attention span is short, right? People are busy doing things they never thought they'd be doing because of the way the world is spinning out right now, right? Right. Um, everybody wants a piece of your time. I know I do business radio and people want to be entertained as well as informed. They're tired of of webinars. They're tired of being lectured to and read scripts. They want people to be real people. So there's always a challenge, I think, in how long is something today? How do you attack attach or attach yourself to that attention span i like a tv show that's 27 minutes long per episode i can do it while i'm eating dinner while i'm cooking i don't have to spend a whole hour and wonder where my night went and i can actually watch three of them in a little more than an hour and get halfway through a short series so the duchess was quite good it got a lot of a lot of negative criticism have you seen it brad it just dropped about three days ago
3: I have not seen The Duchess, but I would agree with you on economies of scale. Joanna was very gracious in starring in a 10-minute piece that I wrote last fall, and those have landed very well in the theatrical market. So even Mm -hmm. though the medium is different, theater, we don't really think of things being shorter, those 10-minute pieces, they find homes on festival circuits quite handily. People like that economy of scale. I,
2: and also I, because it has to it, because it's a business, everyone yeah. keeps on forgetting it's a business. And so yeah. there's money involved, and it's easier to do uh, a a, sh- a shorter either a TV episode or a play because you have fewer actors, fewer production costs, and um, you're reaching the same amount of people for a less amount of expenditure.
1: Yes. Yeah. And here we are almost the end of September. And I'm missing the new episodes of Blue Bloods and NCIS and all of the I still keep network TV and I still keep cable because there are shows I want. And I felt shortchanged by The Good Fight, which only did seven episodes because of COVID. I felt shortchanged. Grace and Frankie, I don't know when it's coming back. I thought it was wonderful, the surprise marriage at the end of the last season
3: um, oh i gotta catch up
1: oh the, the marvelous nasal <laughs> she didn't win last night by the way at the emmy I know. Uh, you know whose creek took home more emmys than anybody ever did in history i gotta start watching that one uh but it's same. interesting.
3: hmm is it good same it seemed to clean up last night and i agree it, i need it, to invest some time in that
1: it did and some really really wonderful actresses were passed over for the best one based on that that show which was very very interesting and a woman of a certain age playing the lead in that one Catherine O'Hara I think her name was very,
2: very- my favorite is Laura Linney sorry I I'm a Laura Linney fan Catherine forever. O'Hara is
1: 66 <laughs> and she got her Emmy the other night for that and and so there you, there you go and by the way right. Joanne I want you to stretch the upper limit of your content for women I want you to include women uh, let's say in the I'm going to do it Brad in the Bernadette Peters age group. I'm just going to leave that. No,
2: it, I mean it my, it is in that age group, but what I'm I'm simply it saying It was 48. <laughs> what I'm saying is what exists now as far as the journeys that women take. At least women in the Bernadette Peters have the Gracie and Frankie. Yes. They've got that. Yes. But on,
1: on that some note, other
2: other age demographics are wanting
1: We've got to say goodbye. I wish we didn't. It's been delightful, Joanna. Thank you so much for bringing Brad to me. Brad, it's been a real pleasure getting to thank you. It was so quick. I know, I know. And now our breath went so fast. And Josh has told me, let's give a round of applause for Josh, my engineer. Yay! Yes, thank you.
3: And happy new year. Thank you very much.
1: Tova, to all of us who are celebrating. And I will be, Laura, no show next week. It's Yom Kippur. And I will be ending my fast at around the time the show would be on. So I still observe. And uh, to everybody, stay safe, stay smart, stay savvy. And I've been saying, wear your mask. Damn it, if you're going to be around people. It's not affecting anything in your life. It's just a way to keep the damn germs from spraying around. We'll just leave it at that, Radio Red, saying thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again soon, Joanna. Canaro, red Forenza,
2: be well. Stick around. Thank you. Bye, Thank Hubs.
3: you.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio, presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.